0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Everyone, can you all hear? Okay. Is it too loud? I can hear myself. Okay. So it's really nice to be here with all of you. Um, Gil asked me if I would uh, come tonight. He's off hiking, doing a wonderful hike with his Son and so they 're having a little father son bonding, I think, so it 's my pleasure to be here tonight. So what I thought I wanted to talk about was uh, or is um, i 'll just sort of let it unfold it, but uh, or let it unfold, but it is sort of the condition of being a human being, the condition of uh, our minds when we sit down and uh, begin to practice or when we sit down to meditate. So um, I have a a good friend whose name is Mark Coleman, and he's a teacher out at uh, Spirit Rock, amongst other places. And so I'm going to credit Mark with giving this to me. I, I don't normally do poetry in a Dharma, <laughs> in a Dharma talk, but this is just too good to, to pass up. This was, um, it's by R.D. Lang, and it's called In Knots. See if, if it resonates with, with you. Here is something I don't know that I'm supposed to know. I don't know what it is I don't know, And yet, I'm supposed to know. And I feel like I look stupid if I seem both not to know and not to know what it is that I don't know. Therefore, I pretend to know it. This is nerve-wracking. Since I don't know what I must pretend to know, therefore, I pretend to know everything. I feel you know what I am supposed to know, but you can't tell me what it is because you don't know what I don't know what it is. You may know what I don't know, but not that I don't know it. And I can't tell you, so you will have to tell me everything. So, that seems to be the condition of many of our... Uh, our minds when we sit down and try to be quiet for a few minutes and, and try to know things. So I'm going to go from Katie Lang to the Buddha with another quote. I, I feel presumptuous quoting the Buddha, but here you go. Mind by nature is radiant and pure. It is shining it is because of visiting forces known as defilements, or in Pali, this is called kalesas, that we suffer. So, it is because of these forces that arise in the mind and that we're habitually reacting to that we try to know what we don't know, and we don't know what we think we know, and what other people think we know and so on and so forth and it just ties this up really in knots so I want to talk a little bit tonight um, about these kalesas, about these um, uh, another way that they're sometimes uh, translated is defilements which is not a very friendly word in English. Many of us don't really uh, take to that quickly. Another way that they're described are mental torments, things that sort of torture us. Again, it's not a very uh, welcoming kind of uh, of a a word for most of us. For me, I think of these chalases as mental obscurations. It's They are what blocks us from being with our experience as it actually is, as it's arising in the moment. And um, until we can learn to um, recognize what our experience actually is, we're sort of caught in wanting to know what we don't know, thinking we should know it. And we just get tied up in knots. <clears throat> excuse me. And most of us go through our whole life living that way, and that's how we die. And it's um, really kind of a shame, but that's the truth of the that's the truth of the matter. So there's a wonderful American monk uh, named. Bhikkhu Bodhi, who says, uh, I love this, that in order to become free, there are two things that are, are required. And those two things are to start and to continue. Over and over and over again. To start and continue. And I want to say that because in order to get intimate and familiar with the obscur- obscurations of mind, the kalesas that are part of just being a human being, uh, it takes practice. It takes practice, and it takes kindness, and it takes compassion. and And that requires courage and not bolting. When things actually start to reveal themselves for what they are. So what are these these mental obscurations? I want to first sort of define what I think they are uh, and then um, talk a little bit about how to work with these things so that we're not stuck in in a loop of misunderstanding. So, I see these kalesas as being um, habitual mental states that arise in response to some object of awareness being wrongly perceived or known. So, something arises in our experience And we mistake it for something else. Anger arises in our experience or fear arises in our experience and we get lost in anger or fear without recognizing that all it is is anger and fear that has arisen. So not that anger and fear are insignificant but they are not us and we When we get lost in this, we think that that's what's actually going on. So these are habitual, reactive ways of being with objects that are being wrongly perceived. So these could be actions or feelings or moods, thoughts, beliefs, and a big one is assumptions. We assume things are a certain way without really even examining it. So lots of assumptions are going on and these things arise out of attachment, aversion, or delusion. Out of wanting, out of not wanting, or out of not knowing what the heck is going on, just like the poem said. I love this poem (laughs) because it set my whole talk up. (laughs) So these kalesas are, um, are these mental obscurations? They're actually fed by the restlessness in our mind. Um, this is sometimes experienced as uh, aimless, you know, just the mind just wandering around aimlessly, uh, and and us getting lost in in a narrative that we play over and over and over again and we 're at the center of the of the narrative it 's a narrative about me, mine, what I want, what my preferences are, how I want to look, how i don 't want to look, etc, etc, etc so um, there 's this kind of n- this restlessness that I think most of us, unless I'm somehow unique, uh, experience in in When we stop and are quiet enough for a a few moments to actually encounter our mind. And sometimes this restlessness is so um, unpleasant that uh, it turns into a kind of, it gives rise to a resistance within us to be with the truth of the fact that it's restlessness that's there. And so there's this resistance to our present moment experience. Are you tracking with me? Does this make sense? And when we resist our experience, we get lost. We, we lose touch with awareness that knows restlessness. We think something else is going on. And sometimes the way that this comes across to us or sometimes the way that we can... Um, touch into it is to actually feel in our body a kind of contention, a point of stress, a kind of knot. Something sort of, it's like a red alert. Something goes up, off and we know that something's just not right. And so there's this rub, this place of meeting, this point of of stress that <clears throat> may not be actually known. It may be so unpleasant to us. We may be so aversive to it that we have such a habit of turning away that <clears throat> we just bolt automatically and go into the default mode that we live in under our normal day-to-day sort of existence. Mm-hmm. But that point of stress, that place of rub, is actually the gateway to deeper insight and the, de- and the gateway to a kind of freedom that we can really begin to experience that Actually transforms our experience and therefore transforms our life so all of this can sound sort of very um, heady, and it is when you 're trying to talk about it, but it 's something that we experience directly and it's and i 'm not talking about trying to understand it intellectually but i i 'm trying rather to point us right into our heart, right into the place where we feel what we feel. Because I have a story about my fear or my anger or my whatever it happens to be, and you each have your own story about that. But underneath the content of our stories is the actual process of the experience of suffering. So that place of contention where I feel pain and suffering, I know that you feel that too. And it doesn't make any difference whether we were born in Illinois or Mumbai. This is true. This is just part of what connects us as human beings. So it's, it's important to realize that this um, awareness of not the awareness, but the restlessness is what keeps us um, running this narrative and keeps us caught in our story. So calles, or these obscurations, are always, always, always accompanied. With ignorance and delusion that 's just part of the deal we 're not seeing what's actually going on we're not we're not able to be with our experience and so ignorance is not knowing um, or the ignorance of not knowing requires us to cultivate the awareness to know so we we begin to realize that we are we're actually not knowing that we're able to meet our exp- or we're not meeting our experience authentically and we recognize we're not doing that and so what is required here is to cultivate the kind of awareness that knows experience directly that's a little bit subtle but i i i'm going to repeat that because it's worth it's worth saying again. So <clears throat> the the ignorance of not knowing what's actually going on requires awareness to know. So, if I asked you all to close, indulge me for a moment, close your eyes just for a moment if you feel safe doing so. Thank you. And now... Um, Stop being aware. Okay. Were you able to do it? No. No. So awareness is there all the time. We just have to learn to connect with the awareness that knows the object clearly. So, I'm going to go back to the way I started. We, these obscurations are habitual mental states that arise in response to some object being wrongly perceived or known. So awareness begin to cultivate the kind of awareness that helps us to be with our experience directly. So <clears throat> if I asked you to, to bring your focus of attention just for a moment to the fact that you're breathing, can you do that? Does everyone know they're breathing? Okay. So we've been breathing the entire time that we've been sitting here since we walked into the room, and hopefully we'll all be breathing when we walk out of here. But we're not always aware that we're breathing. Now, I'm not suggesting that you try to be aware that you're breathing 24 hours a day, but it's that quality of awareness that knows breath. It's that quality of awareness that knows that you have a body that that you're alive, that you're part of a world with other people who are alive, that, that awareness that knows things outside of you and that knows things inside of you, you can access at any time. And you can cultivate the awareness that recognizes the awareness that knows the object. So the awareness that knows breathing is not breathing, you see? The awareness that recognizes you're frightened or angry or happy or ecstatically blissed out is not anger or bliss or... we go down the list. That awareness is completely non-judgmental and it's unconditional. It simply meets experience as it is. So that might be another way of describing mindfulness, the practice that we do here at IMC. This quality of awareness is something that needs to be cultivated. It takes practice to be able to do it. And so as Bhikkhu Bodhi says, in order to free ourselves, we have to do two things. We have to start and continue. And when we lose awareness, it is not the end of the story. It simply means that we're human beings, welcome to the human race, and we start and continue again. The longer we can be with our experience in a direct way, in a more continuous way, the brighter and clearer our minds become and the freer our hearts become or open. So the Kalesas are always accompanied by ignorance and delusion. And the delusion of not seeing things the way they are requires clear seeing or insight wisdom to cut through this delusion. So that's what we're practicing here. We're learning how to just calm the mind down long enough to begin to see what's actually happening within us. You see? And sometimes we nail it, a lot of the times we don't. And it's just part of the package. It just goes with the territory. But step by step, starting and continuing over and over and over again with kindness and non-judgmental, you know, uh, compassion, really. Uh, this is how we learn to uh, gradually awaken. It's a gradual process for most of us. Um, maybe for some people, they wake up instantaneously but for most people it's a gradual process and so it's important in my opinion for us to recognize what's really at play we're we're actually pushing against the the momentum of a lifetime of seeing things other than the way they are that's what we're pushing against and our culture I'm not going to sort of start bashing our culture, but our culture supports us to stay in ignorance. It supports us to not be willing to be with things at that point where there's a rub, at that point where we begin to feel a little bit of discomfort or a whole lot of discomfort. You see, it's get me the hell out of here as soon as possible. This is not what I signed up for. But in fact, it's while it's counterintuitive, the only way to sort of penetrate this is to go turn right towards it and to go through it. You can't go around it. You can't circumvent it. There's no way around it. You might put it off temporarily, but... I think John Cabot Sin wrote a book called Wherever You Go, There You Are, so you can run off to Paris and you're still going to bring it along with you. So ignorance and delusion will always accompany these obscurations. And um, when these calaisas are accompanied by attachments, we want Something to be a certain way, we have preferences, and we really want things to be a certain way, and we 're attached to our desires for that outcome um, they these These manifest as like this sense of entitlement, this clinging, this you know needy quality of of things having to be the way we want them to be that's all there is to it there's a, <laughs> there's a wonderful monk up in, in Canada and uh, when his, uh, he's training young monks <laughs> he has this saying which I, I love because it's the whole of the Dhamma in some ways he says no preferences no problems <laughs> Because so much of being trained as a monk is to, you know, you just rub against your ego until there's nothing left. And then you find out that there's a whole lot left. So no preferences, no problems. And it's like this clinging neediness that things have to be our way and this sense that we're entitled to have it be our way. And this causes, when we begin to see things, then we begin to see cause and effect at play. And we can appreciate that, you know, when we go down that rabbit hole, we're going to suffer. Someone's going to suffer along the way and we're going to suffer right along with them. So when the Kalesas are accompanied by, you know, not wanting or aversion, they manifest in... Some really nasty ways. They can manifest as anger or hatred or rage or violent striking out physically or verbally. We just do things that we wouldn't, that we really don't want to do, you see? And it can be some, sometimes it's just, we get mad and we snap at our our kids or our partners or our colleagues or our friends or even at ourselves. And, and this is just, you know, aversion to the arising of these, to meeting this place. And when, and when we internalize that kind of aversion, uh, it becomes oppressive and it shows up as, uh, as being really frustrated we can really get frustrated, we can start to think of ourselves as victims, we're victimized, uh, we can end up feeling a lot of self-pity or despair, or if we're given to depression, we just move off into depression. So <clears throat> there are neuroscientists today um, down at Stanford and at universities all over the world, actually, not just here at Stanford. but they're just looking at what happens to the human brain and to our um, psychology when we practice meditation when we practice mindfulness when we practice do practices like um, compassion cultivation practices and and <clears throat> when we do we 're not just, we people tend to to um, uh, Tend to display at least more pro social behaviors. They're not so prone to slipping off into violent, you know, uh, tantrums, or they're not so prone to depression if they're given to go in that direction. So um, when we like resist these things, when we resist these defilements or, or obscurations, I keep. Moving back and forth because they're referred to, and you'll hear them referred to uh, as torments, defilements, calaces, obscurations. This is at least this is how I know them. So that's why I keep going through the whole list over and over again. But when we encounter them and push against them, uh, they often we often experience our experience actually turns into one where we can become whiny and complaining, we're just complaining, we're disdainful, we're irritable, we're impatient, and, um, and oftentimes this is fueled by fear. It's fear that's really driving this. So, fear is an ac- acronym, I'll, and I'll give you what it's an acronym for. Are you listening carefully? False evidence appearing real. Fear. False evidence appearing real. So, that's what they are. How do we work with them? So, first we recognize that they're there. And once we recognize that these things are part of our experience, we begin to emerge from the enchantment of the narrative of me and my, of the suffering that's associated with that narrative. So first we recognize them. There's a cognitive recognition that these things are there and we, we stop fighting against them. So that's followed by beginning to relax, so we learn how to see and accept the way that things have come to be for us in this moment. It's not like it's gonna be like that forever, but in this moment, that's how things really are. So we just relax around that. We can't change it, we, can, we can't push against it. If we do, we're gonna get really annoyed and angry and you know, disappointed and just, again, down the rabbit hole. So this is how things are for now. Not forever, but for now. This is the way things are. We can relax around that. And then once we've recognized something and we're a little bit more relaxed around it, we can exercise this quality of restraint. There's a quality of restraint. So what that means is we don't really have to give in to these mental reactive states. Um, We don't have to, we can recognize that these are triggers and we don't have to react to every trigger that happens. You see, somebody comes along and looks at you wrong and then you have some assumption that if they look at you in this way it means X, Y, and Z and it might not have even crossed their radar screen. The fact is that when you begin to see these things, you begin to realize that that's true. And so you don't have to react to your life experience in the same way that you you might have defaulted to in the past. And sometimes this is as simple and straightforward as not indulging in the story. That look means he or she, blah, 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 fill in the blanks. You see, you can recognize this is just a story. This is nothing more than a story. And if I, if I indulge that story pretty soon, I'm going to get really angry. You see? And, again, I'm going to point us back to something that I said a little bit earlier. You can check in with your body, because you might miss... <laughs> miss it mentally, but you can check in with your body and you 're going to feel something in your body. you may feel some tightening and some contraction, some something's just not right and and when you become sensitive to that and be are willing to be respectful towards that, you 'll begin to see that you can exercise some restraint that puts some space around your experience so that you don't have to just lash out in reactivity or get washed away in fear or whatever. You can recognize that emotions are arising and they're going to pass away. So... I I like to think of this from a psychological point of view. It's by refocusing our attention away from the content of the story or the triggering details to the process of what's occurring in our body and mind right now is the way that we begin to actually transform our experience. You see? So we it's not like The details of the story aren't true or important. They might be, but the real problem is that we're not underneath being with what's going on in our hearts. We're ignoring our hearts. So, to refocus your attention away from the triggering details, the content to the actual process that you're experiencing, that all of us experience as human beings and that connects us as human beings, at that level, there's no man, there's no woman, there's no... All there is, is this experience, you see? So, one could say there's um, points of sensation arising and passing away with about as much substance as a cloud moving across the sky. You see, if I asked you to close your eyes and imagine your hand, and you did that, you know, would it really be a hand? What you would probably, if you think about it, you'd have your hand is known as points of sensation that are arising and passing very, very quickly, and somehow we associate that with hand. We come to know it with hand. Of course, we have to have these ways of being in the world, otherwise we'd probably get... I don't know what would happen to us, but in any event, this is this is what I I have found useful in my own practice, is to recognize the difference between the content and the process that's actually occurring. So then we can reframe our experience and instead of defaulting to the mistaken belief that the difficult feelings or emotions, or even happy feelings and emotions that we become attached to, um, are obstacles to our awareness, we can begin to notice that the place of contention, as I said earlier, is actually a gateway, or in a way, a Dharma gate to deeper understandings so that we can meet these experiences with acceptance rather than with avoidance or resistance. We begin to recognize avoidance and resistance. I hope this isn't too heady, but really, when you Get the direct experience when you have, and you don't have to be sitting on a cushion for 10 years to get this. Everybody gets it, and you get it. Everyone that's sitting in this room gets this throughout your day. You probably experienced it more than once today. So it's just that we have to turn our awareness or cultivate the awareness that recognizes that we know when we know. So um, we can reframe re- reframe this experience and then um, we can receive by working with the stressors with a relaxed kind of curiosity and interest rather than aversion or clinging, we begin to see into the very nature of the chalases or the obs- obscurations. And we can actually use the appearance of these obscurations or the arising of these obscurations as an opportunity to investigate their nature, to get to know them for what they are, so that they're not always fooling us and driving us around like, uh, you know, dogs on a leash or something. So these obscurations are absolutely a natural part of the human experience every person who sits down to meditate, every new meditator and even really experienced meditators, we sit down and you know the mind is full of thoughts of the future, anxieties um, you know we're rewriting the past we're, we're doing everything that we can except to be in the moment of what's really going on. And we don't, and then we think, oh, well, I can be present, I can be in the moment, but we just default to these old habits. So to understand that this is just natural, this is part of what it's like to be a human being. So the reason I say this is it's important to know that these defilements they, basic, they don't belong to us and they don't define us. See, when we're angry, that isn't who I am. I'm not anger. You know, I'm experiencing anger. When I'm sad or filled with grief or filled with whatever it happens to be, this is just something that's being known. Awareness is known knowing this. You see, this is this does not belong to me and it does not define me. It's something that's simply being known. So when we recognize that and these cales appear, instead of like thinking that they're ours and that, that that's how we're defined, they can be a way that we can meet ourselves and others with kindness and compassion, knowing that every single one of us experience them, experience them. There's not a person alive on the planet that doesn't experience these things. That's just what it's like to be a human being. So, the final thing that I want to say about this is that when we begin to look at these things and investigate their nature. We see in them the three universal characteristics um, of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and insubstantial uh, conditional uh, kind of a, of a non-self sort of experience or. What am I trying to say? The three characteristics are embedded in all of these, def- in all of the defilements. So they are, by their very nature, impermanent. They are given to causing a lot of suffering within ourselves. And when we look there, because they don't belong to us and they don't define us, there's no us there. So they're really insubstantial. Insub- they're really nothing more than points of sensation arising and passing away like clouds in the sky. And once we understand or we begin to understand the nature of these obscurations, they do begin to dissolve and we do begin to feel a lot of space around um, our experience that we didn't <laughs> know before. But it this is this requires practice, it requires patience, and it requires kindness. And it also requires a lot of courage. Compassion requires courage. Compassion is not um, wishy-washy at all. So in my own practice, I've, I've validated this over and over and over again, that once I see something, once something is seen, it's seen. And that's the very beginning of the change. That's the beginning of the transformation. Once you know something for what it is, even if you slip into the habit of going back and doing it 10,000 more times, once it's known, that's the beginning of the end. You see? Once I recognize anger, instead of just being washed away by anger, just I recognize it as a defilement of mind or a kalesa, once that's known once, it can never have the same power over me. So fear is false evidence appearing real, and um, I, I I really want to say that when we we start to practice like this we Can sometimes experience a lot of vulnerability. And vulnerability is basically a sign that we're opening. It can be a sign that we're opening. It is not easy to open, it's not easy to be vulnerable. So I caution everyone to be kind and gentle and take whatever steps are appropriate. You don't have to, you know, tackle the giant gorilla. You can, you know, deal with, <laughs> with smaller issues. And as you begin to get stronger, you're able to be with these things in a more stable and clear way. And you, you can allow them to sort of wash through you rather than to lock in your psyche and in your psychology and in your physical body as traumas because that's that's what they do. So um, if you'll just give me a few more moments of your time, I know that we're at nine o'clock. I, I want to end with a poem since I started with one. So this poem is called New Beginnings. And I'll read it, but I want you to keep in mind What Bhikkhu Bodhi says Two things are required to wake up Start and continue So this poem is by John O'Donohue And it's called New Beginnings In out-of-the-way places of the heart Where your thoughts never think to wander This beginning has been quietly forming Waiting until you were ready to emerge For a long time it has watched your desire Feeling the emptiness grow inside you Noticing how you willed yourself on Still unable to leave what you had outgrown It watched you play with the seduction of safety And the gray promises that sameness whispered Heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent Wondered, would you always live like this? Then the delight when your courage kindled, and out you stepped onto new ground. Your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plenitude opening before you. Though your destination is not clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure holding nothing back. Learn to find, find ease in risk. Soon you will be home in a new rhythm for your soul senses the world that awaits you. So may, <laughs> may you all rejoice in a brave new world. Thank you. Thank you for your attention.